This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and good evening. Laughs are on the way in the second half of the show. Right now, it's Richard Diamond and the Richard Hire case, first broadcast in 1949. Here's Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective. Hello there, this is Diamond. About the most strenuous effort I might give out during a working year is maybe chasing some thug up the escalator at Bloomingdale's department store. But last week I really outdid myself. The all-stars of the police force challenged the private detectives to a baseball game for the benefit of the vice squad. And I wound up stiffer than a pair of starched overalls. Because the private detectives are quick to take advantage of the slightest opportunity, by the eighth inning, we realized the need for some immediate strategy. The score at that point was six to four, the cops leading. So I got a hold of a little blonde I knew and had her walk across the infield in a sweater. The idea was to disturb the opposing team and take their minds off the game. It would have worked. But it seemed that since I had last seen my little blonde friend, she'd become quite a favorite with the police force, so they just waved hello and went about their business. My drooling colleagues, however, had not come in contact with said hunk of fluff, and before the game was over, three of them had picked up the bat boy and tried to bunt with him. You may have read where the police force finally beat us. Close game, 37 to 4. But I want to say right here and now, they never could have done it without that sweater. And oh, yeah, I got mixed up on a little honest murder the next day. It all started in the back booth of a middle-class nightclub. A couple of people were busy trying to think up the fastest way to make a homicide billiard. So uh, that's the three-cushion variety. Chilling to frame up to the electric chair. Leon. Are you sure this will work? You want to get rid of that old man of yours, don't you? You know I do. Well, I got a wife that I want to dump, too. This letter from her is going to fix it so we both end up very unmarried. Are you sure they'll blame it on Martin? Sure, I'm sure. When they find him with this letter and his own gun and the dead body of my dear little wife, they'll slap him in the chair so fast he won't know what happened. Who's going to find him with the body? That's your job, baby. I'll get the letter to your husband and you swipe his gun and get it to me. And you go get yourself a private detective and tell the shamus that you suspect your husband of running around with another girl. You and the shamus tail your husband. I'll have a time so you catch him with the goods right after the killing. Well, all right. I hope it works. 
It will if you want it to, baby. I want it to. Because I want you. Yeah. Yeah, and all that nice money your husband's going to leave you. Leon. Come in, you. Yeah. Come in. Mr. Diamond? That's right. I want to hire a private detective. Well, good for you. Sit down. Thank you. What is your fee? Hmm? What's the matter? Well, stand up and sit down again. They're 52 gauge, Mr. Diamond. Like them? Oh, you'd look good if they were sweat socks. I don't think they'd go with a high heel. Uh, you've got a point. Now, uh, <clears throat> what were you saying? I wanted to know what your fee is. Oh, a hundred a day in expenses. Uh, isn't that a little high? I stopped eating at the automat six years ago. All right, I'll give you a retainer. Oh, uh, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. What's the job? I think my husband is running around with another woman. What do you want me to do? Hustle him off to the nut house? Oh, aren't you nice? I want you to go with me as a witness. You know, uh, any other time I might get shy, but I'm really interested in seeing a girl who could beat your time. Hmm. When do I start? Meet me in front of my house at 10 minutes to 8. My husband leaves around 8. What's the address? 521 East 58th Street. My name is Hires, Mr. Diamond. Uh, June Hires. Hi, June. I'll see you at 10 to 8. Now, uh, excuse me, but about that retainer. Oh, yes, that. Um, here's $100. Is that enough? Uh, it'll keep me interested. What's your husband's name? Martin. I'll see you this evening, Mr. Diamond. Oh, uh, one more question. Yes. Why haven't you and your husband been getting along? Uh-huh. A lot of reasons. By the way, Mr. Diamond, how old are you? Hmm? No. Oh, well, I'm frisky, but I passed the foolish mark when I was three and a half. Did you? Goodbye, Mr. Diamond. I wonder if I did. Diamond Detective Agency, with men who know the corpses best, it's Diamond, two to one. Rick. Oh, oh, Helen. Hello, baby. What are you doing? Uh, what gauge nylons do you wear, dear? 52. Why? Oh, nothing. Oh, Rick, are you going to buy me a present? Oh, you never can tell. I was just looking at a pair a few minutes ago. Rick. Yeah? Where were you looking at them? Now, uh, what kind of a question is that? A very good question. Have you got a girl up in that office? Helen. Don't you, Helen, me, have you? Well, I give you my word, I haven't. All right, was there a girl in your office? The, the... Was there? Well, a client... I got a hundred dollar retainer. I don't I... care if she gave you the George Washington Bridge. You were obviously looking at her leg. Well, I couldn't help it. She sat on that way. Now look, honey, she's just another client. Mm-hmm. With fifty-two gauge nylons. Would you do count the threads? Oh, can you do that? Oh, you wolf! Yeah, but you're the only one who gets the benefit of my talents. You can put the soft soap away. Oh, well, I got some business at eight. I'll, I'll be over later. Well, gonna stay mad until you get here. You're going to tell me all about those nylons. I'll be sure and do some research. Bye. Well, there you are. You sit around and wait for a meal ticket to come in, and just because it happens to be fitted with curves, your best girl digs up the green-eyed monster. I don't know why gals get sore at a guy just because they catch him panting a little. <laughs> After all, it's hot in New York. I spent the rest of the afternoon trying to hit a big horse fly with a rubber band and some paper clips. And by six o'clock, we shook hands and called it a draw. 
I closed the office and went home. I got into some clean clothes and grabbed a bite to eat at the corner drugstore. At ten minutes to eight, I was sitting in June Hire's car, parked across the street from her front door. Mr. Simon, how did you ever get to be a private detective? Uh, Mrs. Hire, how did you ever get to be a housewife? You think things up in a hurry, don't you? Only when I got competition. You like competition? Yeah, up to a point. After that, I get tired of the struggle. I feel like I was back in college, sitting in a parked car with a good-looking man. Your education must have been pretty tame. I haven't moved once. Well, I really started to study after I graduated. Oh, I bet you got straight A's. Must you top everything? I play around with a lot of trouble, Mrs. Hyer, and I've got to stay one step ahead of it. Do I look like trouble? When's your husband coming out of that house? Any minute now. You didn't answer my question. I'll tell you as soon as I see your husband. Well, how will that tell you? If he's wearing a beanie with a propeller on it, I'll know you've been giving him a lot of trouble. So I've been giving him trouble. Does that mean I'll do the same for somebody else? What's the difference, a husband or a private detective? They both got their names from a guy named Adam. Oh, look. A cab pulled up to the front door. Yeah, I see it. And here comes Martin. Mm. He's getting into the cab. Well, what do you know? What's the matter? No beanie. We both sat and watched while Martin Hire got into the cab and it pulled away. Mrs. Hire put her car in gear and we started the tale, giving her the safe distance. He led us across town to a middle-class apartment house and we stopped the car and waited up the street. He's getting out and going into that building. Come on. Oh, what for? Shouldn't we let him get up there first and, and then... Look, look, baby. Do you know who this gal is? No, no, of course not. Well, then come on. I want to see what door he goes in. But, oh, won't he see us? Honey, I don't tell you how to put your lipstick on. I don't tell me how to make it like a bloodhound. The, the lobby is empty. Well, watch the elevator. Oh. It's stopping on the fourth floor. Hadn't we better go up? Look, uh, look, lover. The fourth floor probably comes equipped with a lot of doors. Now, if you want to just knock on any of them, go hire yourself Humphrey Bogart. Well, then what do we do? You stand by and watch like you make like you knew what I was doing. See, the little old elevator's coming back down. Now, you just hold it there while I look at the mailboxes. Hmm. Mrs. Lee Callahan. Mrs. Lillian McEdward. Mrs. Mike. Well... And Miss Sally Maxwell. Okay, now we push the button for the fourth floor and away we go. Fun? Um, how do you know where to go? I got the name off the mailbox. But you said yourself there must be a lot of people on the fourth floor. Elementary, my dear girl. Process of elimination. We're lucky this time. Only one single girl on the fourth floor. Sally Maxwell. Come on. It's 406. What if there'd been more than one single girl? So I make some new friends. Now stop asking questions and stick close. Mm, I'd love it. Now, here it is, 406. Hold it down. Can you hear anything? No. Yeah, somebody's moving around. Oh? Oh, Duck. What? Too late. What? June. Uh, good evening. I represent the Great Nothing Life Insurance Company. What are you doing here, June? I might ask you the same thing. Do you mind if we come in? I'd like to interest you in our indemnity clause. Stop pushing. Get out of my way. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. You get $3 million if a python bites you in the middle of Times Square. You can't force your way in here like that. You... Oh, now you've hurt my feelings. Then take your hands off me or I'll strike you again. Sure, but you need two more to put you out. Here, have one on me. <laughs> Now, the next time you go striking people... Mr. Diamond, look. 
I looked past the little guy and spotted the body. She was blonde, and I didn't know why she was hanging on to the rug that way. She wasn't going anywhere. All right, you. Get out of my way. Huh? Oh, what a lovely gun. Martin, you killed that girl. No, I did not. I came in here and found her like that, but I didn't kill her. She's been shot. I know that. I found the gun by her body. You don't think I'd kill her? I was in love with her. Martin! Is that the gun that did it? Yes. I mean, no. I, oh, I don't know what I mean. But you stand right there. Don't take another step. That's your gun, Martin. Don't shut up. I didn't kill Sally, but I know I haven't got a chance of proving it, so if you come any closer, I will most certainly shoot you. I hate to look like an idiot, but it's against the law to shoot people. Mr. Diamond, be careful. Come on, Martin. Give me the gun. You don't think I'll shoot, do you? Come on, give it to me. Just one more step. Look out, he's going to shoot. Come on, open up in there. What? Better drop it, Martin. You've got company. Stay back. Stay back. This is the police. Open up or we'll break the door in. Please. Give me the gun, Martin. No, no. Let, let him in, June. Before Levinson tears down the whole wall. I've got Martin. Yes, all right. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. What's going on in here? Hello, Walt. Hey, Lieutenant, look. It's the gumshoe. Rick, why do you guys always have to break down doors? Why don't you try turning the knob first? Otis, didn't you see if it was unlocked? Uh, I forgot, Lieutenant. You mallet head. We got a report that someone heard a shot from this apartment. There's the body, Walt. Who's this guy? Uh, Martin Heyer. Here's his gun. He was going to use it on me. I didn't kill her. I came in and found her that way. Oh, shut up. Who's the girl with you, Diamond? Uh, this is Mrs. Heyer. Martin is her husband. I don't say. The old triangle, huh, Rick? I engaged Mr. Diamond to follow my husband. That's right, Walt. We caught Martin trying to sneak out on the corpse. I told you I didn't kill her. And I told you to shut up. Is this your gun? Uh, yes. But I found it lying by the body. I knew I'd be blamed if someone found my gun, so I put it in my pocket. Search him, Rick. Haven't had time. Shake him down, Otis. Yeah, Lieutenant. I want my lawyer, and you get away from me. You open your trap just once more. Okay, butthole. Please, Mr. Diamond, I'd like to get out of here. Sure. Okay, Walt. Yeah, but I want to talk to both of you down at the station later. Uh, here's something, Lieutenant. What is it? Mm. Mm. Letter. Are you coming, Mr. Diamond? Uh, you go on down. I'll be right with you. Uh, all right. Walt. What does the letter say? We can't continue this way. I've decided to break it off once and for all. It will do no good to see me, so please stay away and leave me alone. Sign Sally. Let me see that. Yeah. Well, what about it, you? Is the dead girl named Sally? Yes. I don't know why she sent it. We were both in love. Sure, sure. What were you going to do about your wife? I was going to tell her this evening. Then I received this note. I came right over to see Sally, but... Believe me, I didn't kill her. Tell me something, Martin. Is this the way you received the letter? Yes. Why? Now, you wait a minute, Rick. I'm very happy with what I've got, so don't start making like Sherlock Holmes. Oh, well, I, I guess you're right, Walt. He admits it's his gun, and this letter is certainly motive enough. Yeah. Otis, call for the wagon and put the cops on hire. Right, Lieutenant. Walt, why would someone send a letter after tearing off the top of it? Huh? See, the top of this letter is missing. The part that usually reads Dear Julius or something. So what? Do me a favor, will you, Walt? Oh, what is it? Give me three minutes and then have Otis fire a shot from this apartment. What? Is that all you can say? Have Otis fire a shot in about three minutes after I leave? I will not. The police department can't go around making like it was the 4th of July. You want to solve a murder, don't you? I have solved it. What more do I need? I got a suspect, the murder weapon, and a good motive. Uh, Walt, if you just killed someone and a guy caught you at it, what would you do? I'd... Uh, Knock him off, too. Well, I caught Hire in the act, and he didn't pull the trigger. Well, you said yourself he was going to. But he didn't, and he took too much time thinking about it. Walt, I can't remember hearing a shot when I came in this building. So you didn't hear a shot. Maybe you couldn't. Well, that's what I want to find out. 
I was right behind Martin all the way up to this apartment, and I didn't hear a shot. Maybe you didn't kill her. That's right, I didn't. Please, I didn't kill her. You see, Walt? Oh, you always start something like this. Martin, did your girlfriend Sally have any enemies? No. At least she never told me about any. Now, where are you, brain trust? Just a little more sure of myself. First, Martin can't make up his mind about shooting me. Then he claims that the murdered girl didn't have any enemies. Does that sound like a killer trying to cover up? You've run into smart killers before? I'm surprised at you, Rick. I called the station, Lieutenant. I'm proud of you. Go on in the other room and shoot that cannon of yours off when I tell you. The what, Lieutenant? You heard me. Shoot it into a mattress, but don't muffle a shot. Uh, okay. But not till I tell you. You might think it's fun and blow up the whole building. Thanks, Rob. What are you doing? Oh, uh, just looking around this desk to see if I can find the top piece of this letter. Oh, uh, Martin, are you sure that your girlfriend didn't know anyone who might want to kill her? She never said she was in danger. But you might ask her husband. Her husband? Oh, swell. Why didn't you say something about her husband before this? You didn't ask. Oh. Who is her husband? His name's Leon Fisk. The gambler? Yes. Oh. Bye, Walt. Now, you wait a minute. Have orders start making like a Roman candle three minutes after I leave. What's that you've got in your hand? Huh? Well, it's a piece of stationery from the desk that matches the stationery this letter was written on. You can't take that letter. It's evidence. What is? That letter the murdered girl wrote to this guy. Well, how do you know she wrote it? Because this guy said so. Yes, but I'm not sure. It could be forged. See, Walt, maybe she didn't write it. Well, that's why I want it. The lab will be able to tell from other samples of her handwriting. Now, what, Walt? Who wrote that letter? Well, don't you know? Of course I don't know, but we found it on this guy and it's police evidence. Why? Why? Because it just is, that's all. Well, anybody could have written it. You could have written it, Martin. Yes, I guess I could. And send it to yourself? Why would I send it to myself, Lieutenant? You wouldn't. That's why it's important. You mean the letter itself or the fact that he couldn't have sent it to himself? Both reasons. Well, if he couldn't have sent it to himself, that eliminates him as a suspect. It does? He didn't do it. Did you, Martin? No. See, Walt? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why do I always get into something like this? You asked me if I sent the letter to myself. You shut up. And you said he couldn't have. That's right, he couldn't. Then someone else did. Of course they did. Okay, then as long as you're not so sure it's important, I'm going to take it with me. Who says it's not important? Well, if he didn't send it to himself, then someone else did. And if someone else did, the murdered girl couldn't have, so anyone could have sent it. Isn't that right? Say that again. He said if I didn't send the letter to myself, then I couldn't have gotten it in No, consequence. no, no. He said you couldn't have sent the letter to... No, no, wait a minute. You couldn't have written it to... To, to myself. Yeah. So someone else wrote it and sent it to the murdered girl and... No, 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 no. Send it to me. You're crazy. I distinctly heard him say... Walt. Yeah? After you figure it out, be sure and have Otis fire that shot. I'm going to see Leon Fisk. Okay, okay. Now, let's start it again. If I didn't... If somebody didn't... If, if you didn't... If I didn't what? You didn't? Oh. <laughs> What is the matter, Lieutenant? He did it again. And you helped him. You rat, I'll see that you get the chair even if you didn't kill her. What did I do? You shut up. Well, what took you so long? I had to get a merry-go-round started. Um, can I drop you somewhere? Just relax for a second. I've got to think something out. Well, I didn't ever think Martin could kill anyone. Yeah. What was that? Just, uh, just a backfire. Look, uh, drive me across town. I want to talk to a guy named Leon Fisk. Leon Fisk? Yeah, runs a nightclub with an iron claw in the back room. Um, 
what's the address? Uh... 222 East 45th. I remember it because when I was on the force, I used to raid his place for exercise. Uh, thinking of doing some gambling? That's the way it'll probably end up. Let's go. She drove me across town, and ten minutes later, we pulled up in front of a low building with a flight of steps leading down to a basement door. A large sign over the door read, Cellar Club. I got out and thanked June for the lift and watched her drive off. I went down the steps and through the door. Something I can do for you? Yeah, I'd like to see Leon Fisk. Maybe you don't want to see him. What's the name? Just tell him Diamond. Okay. Uh, you got a phone booth? Yeah, right over there. Thanks. I found the phone booth and went in. In my business, you work with hunches, and sometimes they pay off. I knew that the torn letter had to be sent to someone the dead girl was going to slough. I didn't think it was higher, so the next best prospect was her husband, Leon Fisk. I didn't have a thing to pin on him, but a good bluff can open a lot of doors. I took out the letter and copied the handwriting on the other piece of stationery. I wrote the name Leon at the top, and then the words, We Can't Continue, so they'd correspond with the first part of the original. Yeah? What was your writing? What's it to you? You don't have to get sore. I just thought maybe you was getting a tip on the horses, and I sure could use a winner. The nags have been beating me to death. Oh, no tip. Okay, the force will see you. That door right over there. Thanks. Well, Diamond, it's been a long time. I haven't missed you, Leon. What brings you here? Your wife was killed tonight. Sally? One's usually the lemon. Oh, that's too bad. How did it happen? I thought maybe you could tell me. I don't know anything about it. Never see this letter before? Hey. Uh, what's the matter? That's your wife's handwriting, isn't it? Yeah. It uh, says, uh, Leon, we can't continue. Then the writing stopped. So what? The guy the police are holding got a letter from Sally, too. It started the same way, but it wasn't addressed to anyone. The top was torn off. You know what I think? No, tell me. I think she started one letter to you, then threw it away and wrote another one. I think you sent the second to Martin Haar after tearing off the name Leon. Go on, Diamond. You didn't count on her starting a second one, so you went up to her apartment and killed her with Martin's own gun. Oh, with his own gun. Uh, maybe you can tell me how I got it. Oh, oh, I think so. You had to know a lot of things before you could kill your wife. What time Martin would arrive, so the time of death would be close. You had to have his gun to leave by the body, and you had to have a witness who would swear Martin killed her. It had to be time, just right. You're talking yourself into a corner. How would I get all these things? By working with someone who was close enough to Martin. Maybe like his wife. You're crazy. Am I? She just drove me to this place. So what? A lot of people know this place. She told me she didn't. So I gave her an address eight doors down, but she pulled up right in front of your door. Well, that could happen. It was too pat, Leon. Getting me to come to her place at ten minutes to eight and knowing her husband would leave close to eight. She had to know it because that letter was delivered just before I got there. Think you can prove it? You made one mistake. I didn't hear a shot when I got to your wife's apartment. I found out later that you could hear one all the way down in the street. Your wife was killed before Martin went into that building. Probably when you saw his cab pull up. Well, anyway, it's enough to hold you on, and I think we can prove later on that you've been seeing June Hires. You're a pretty smart shamus, Diamond. Oh, you mean you admit it? Okay, baby, come on in. June, come on out of there. Leon, are you crazy? Well, well, well. I didn't know you kept your back room stocked with nylons, Leon. Yeah, yeah. 
I guess you two don't need any introduction. Why did you have to drag me into this? You heard what Diamond said. He knows all about it. You got the car out back? Yes. But what are we going to do with him? Diamond? He's going swimming with a barrel of cement. Lieutenant Levinson wouldn't like that. He knows I came here. You're lying. Wait a minute. Maybe he isn't. Diamond was upstairs with him for quite a while. Okay, so we'll have to hurry things up. Leon, you you can't shoot him. Yeah. You should know it's not quite the point. I'm not going to knock him off here in the office. We'll take him in the car and do it later. No, Leon. What do you mean, no? It was your idea to kill your wife. I just helped get the gun. I'm not going to be along if you kill Diamond. You're going to be right with me, baby, because you're in this up to your pretty neck, and I need that car. I'm not going to do it. Oh, yes, you are. You and Diamond go swimming together. Leon! Give me that gun. You... Let me, let me go. Come on, drop it. You go to the devil. June, June, come back here. I'm getting off. You got me into this mess. Come back here, you, you dirty little tramp. Don't you take that car. You're not going anywhere, Leon. You want to bet? I'll fix you, Diamond. Oh. He hit me with the butt of his gun, and I went down like the price of wheat in July. As I picked myself up, I watched him run for the back door. June! June, wait for me! You're not going to leave me here to take the rock! I got my gun out and stumbled over to the window and looked out just as the car started up. I spotted Leon with a gun in his hand. He looked mean enough to start shooting with it. He did. He started running up the alley then. I suppose I could have said something like stop or I'll shoot, but I was too tired. I just rested my arm on the window and let him have it. finally showed and cleaned things up. I was bleeding again, so I headed for 975 Park Avenue and my usual first aid station. Yes? Hello, Francis. Miss Asherin? Oh, my goodness, Mr. Diamond. Come in, sir. Come in. You've been hurt again. I guess you'll have to answer the door a little quicker after this, Francis, or build a first aid station in the hall. The usual, sir? No, you can forget the plasma, Francis. I had liver for dinner. I can stand the loss. Just as you say, sir. Miss Asher is in the study. Oh, thank you. Why don't you go to bed? You look tired. Yes. Well, good night, sir. Boo. Oh, oh, Rick. Yeah, isn't it awful? Oh, what happened to your chin? Oh, I got it caught on the 38. Want me to go? Want you to go? Why? Well, I thought maybe my poor little face scared you. Oh, I like your poor little mussed up face. Well, thanks, Sporty. How about some music? Oh, I'm too tired. Turn on the radio. All right. Now, let me look at that chin. Oh, that's soothing. Hey, oh, shut that radio off. I'm trying to sleep. Now, what is that? Oh, it's that crabby old neighbor. Oh, it is, huh? Now, Rick, don't get mad. I'll turn it off. You want something, Max? Yeah, some sleep. Is that too much to ask? Well, stick your head in a closet. Now, look, bud. You look. That radio wouldn't wake a two-year-old. Well, just pretend I haven't stopped teething, wise guy. All I want is some sleep. Oh, you do, huh? Sleepy time, gal. You're turning night into day. Uh, you... Rick. Oh, that guy upsets me. Oh, right. He upsets you. That's too pretty a song to sing like that. No. Now you do it right or I'm going to be mad. Well, honey, then that's the last thing I want you to be. Now, now cuddle up on the sofa. You comfy? Mm-hmm. Don't be mad now, baby. Sleepy time, gal. You're turning night into day. 
Sleepy time, gal. You danced the evening away. Before each silvery star fades out of sight. Please give me one little kiss. Then let us whisper goodnight. It's getting late, and baby, your pillow's waiting. Sleepy time, gal. When all your dancing is through. Sleepy time, gal. I'll find a cottage for you. You'll learn to cook and to sew. What's more, you'll love it, I know. When you're stay at home, play at home, eight o'clock, sleepy time, gal. Well, how was that, baby? Helen. Helen. Well, how do you like that? She snores, too. Hey, you! Max! Yeah, now what do you want? How about a game of gin? I'm lonesome. You have just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Helen was played by Virginia Gregg. Lieutenant Levinson by Ed Begley. Also in our cast were Wilms Herbert, Jay Novello, Joan Banks, and Stacey Harris. Music was under the direction of Frank Worth. Richard Diamond is written by Blake Edwards and directed by William P. Rousseau. Dick Powell soon will be seen in the screen version of the best-selling novel, Mrs. Mike. Now, this is Eddie King inviting you to be with us again at the same time next week when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. This program has come to you from Hollywood. Bob Hope is next, and it'll prove to be a lot of fun because Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis are the special guests. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, once they established their routine of creating panic whenever they showed up, give Bob Hope a run for his money. Let's drop in and hear what was happening in 1948. It's the new Swan Show with our great singing star, Doris Day. Well, I swan. A new comedy team sensation, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Irene Ryan, the four hits of the miss, and the new Left Round Band. We swan exclusively. How about you? Yes, how about you? Who, me? My name is Robert. You can break me in two hopes. One Drive View of the News. Washington, D.C. radio's giveaway programs were under fire this week as the Federal Communications Commission hear arguments against banning them from the air. Yeah, they'll give away anything nowadays. The other night, Fervor McGee had to buy back Molly from a guy in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I can't understand why the government is cracking down on giveaways, though. After all, President Truman's been on the road three months now trying to give away... <laughs> 
Of course, political speeches have been crowding the radio so much it's very confusing. At 10 o'clock yesterday, Portia was facing life wearing Truman's glasses and Dewey's mustache. <laughs> the Republicans have been accused of overconfidence. I understand Dewey just placed an order with I.J. Fox for a mink mustache. And Earl Warren keeps going into Washington bars and yelling, Orange juice for everybody. <laughs> One night last week, they caught Earl Warren trying to squeeze a grapefruit on the Capitol Dome. <laughs> Los Angeles, California. The yearly convention of the American Congress of Surgeons met here this week to evaluate the progress of medical science during the past year. 7,500 doctors. That's a lot of camel cigarettes. <laughs> One of the surgeons met an old patient of his in the hotel lobby. It was a touching scene as the MD ran over, clapped the fellow on the back, and exclaimed, Well, well, long time no saw. <laughs> See, there were surgeons. <laughs> the bellhops aren't too enthusiastic about this convention. One of them carried a doctor's suitcase upstairs, held out his hand. And before he knew what had happened, he had his pulse taken, a mole removed, and donated three quarts of blood to the Red Cross. <laughs> a Swedish doctor caused a sensation at the convention by demonstrating a mechanical heart run by electricity. Can you imagine the future? A man with a mechanical heart getting a letter from the electric company that says, unless you pay your bill, we'll have to cut your heart off. <laughs> The new scientific instruments they have now are unbelievable. They got microscopes that are so powerful you can not only see the microbes, but you can actually hear them. I looked into it and there were five germs marching up and down and singing, Good health to all from Rexall. <laughs> and the druggists are all excited about a new remedy called Vuma Seltzer. It has a thousand times more fizz than Alka Seltzer. You just put a tablet in a glass, pour water on it, then run outside and drink it as it comes out the window. <laughs> Hey, hi, what's this? Somebody parking their car right in the studio? Oh, relax, Bob. This isn't a real car. It was just a sound effect to remind everybody about Lever Brothers' big new contest. Listen. Well, it sounds like an interesting contest. What do you do, mail in the top of a pedestrian? <laughs> no, Bob, no. All you have to do is mail in a wrapper from a cake of swan, and you have a chance to win a new 1949 Mercury. And tonight, we have the first winners. <laughs> To Mrs. Catherine Kelly of 2115 Freemansburg Avenue, Eaton, Pennsylvania. A new 1949 Mercury. To Miss Harriet D. Young of Lexington, Kentucky. A new 1949 Mercury. To Mrs. T.W. Lyons of Atlanta, Georgia. A new 1949 Mercury. To Cecil Earl Williams, Hospital Corps, United States Naval Air Station, Key West, Florida. A new 1949 Mercury. Congratulations, winners. And remember, folks, there's still plenty of time to enter. Lever Brothers is giving away a Mercury a day every day until November 19th. That's right, a Mercury a day plus $1,000 in cash awards daily. There's a new contest every day except Saturday and Sunday, and you can enter as often as you please. All residents of the continental United States, including Alaska and Hawaii, are eligible. Just be sure to follow the complete rules printed on free entry blanks at your store. Here's all you do. Finish the following statement, I like swan soap because, in 25 words or less. Then send a swan soap wrapper together with your name and address to Lever's Mercury a Day Contest... Post Office Box 3, New York 8, New York. Well, I swan. A Mercury a day. He went. That's right. By Cracky. <laughs> Here's 
was a beautiful Doris Day in the four heads of the mist with their treatment of hair of gold. Doris tried to send it. He came down from Butte, Montana for a little change of scene. And he stopped and said in Santa Fe where he met a pretty queen. Oh, hair of gold, eyes of blue, lips like cherry wine. The prettiest gal he ever knew, and he said, I'll make her mine. Now he planned to leave on Monday, but she held him kind of tight. So he held the ground and hung around, and he left on Friday night. Oh, hair of gold, eyes of blue, lips like cherry wine. The prettiest gal he ever knew, and he said, I'll job on that song, Doris. You know, I was thinking about those musicals you make over Warner Brothers. It's too bad they haven't got a good-looking fella to sing with you. But, Bob, I just finished a picture with Dennis Morgan. Dennis Morgan? You mean Jack Carson's mother? <laughs> the kind of a fella you need in those pictures should be handsome and magnetic, and he should have a voice somewhere in between Perry Como and Andy Russell. Oh, I know, Bob, but a fellow as perfect as that is too much to hope for. Well, that's what my parents thought, but it happened. <laughs> Yes, I have so much more than Gregory. Why should I fight it? Oh, Bob. Bob, hmm? I would love to be in a picture with you. Oh, and that reminds me. My dramatic coach, Miss Ryan, wants me to thank you for taking her on that tour through Paramount Studios. Well, I was glad to do it, Doris. And it was easy to arrange because I'm the most important actor over the, you know. Well, now, that's very odd. They told Miss Ryan that the most important actor was Alan Ladd. Paramount said that? Yes. Well, I'll get even with them. Just wait till the next time they want me to Simonize Sabu's elephant. <laughs> Come on, Bob. You know you love working over at Paramount. Oh, I don't know. Pictures are all right, but they're so make-believe. It's a shame the way they fool the public. How? Well, for instance, everybody thinks Gary Cooper's a tall man. That's because they always give him something to stand on before they shoot a scene. Well, he certainly does look tall in pictures. What does he stand on? Crosby. <laughs> And that's quite a lump, you know. <laughs> Humphrey Bogart. There's another fake. Humphrey Bogart? Yeah, you know what a rough mug he's supposed to be? You see him in a picture and he says, stick him up in your hand, you rat, or I'll drill you. I'm the toughest guy in town. Well, isn't he tough? Doris, 
Loren Bacall told me that when he comes home at night, she has to rub him with alcohol before he can mash the potatoes. Bob! Bob, you're making this whole thing up. I am not. Wait till I tell you about Charles Boyer. Now, there's nothing wrong with Charles Boyer. Oh, no? You know how he got his lower lip to hang down like that, don't you? When he goes to bed at night, he buttons it to his pajamas. Ryan, though. Yeah, now, for heaven's sakes, Doris, don't ask her about her ailments or we'll be here all night. Okay. Hello, everybody. Well, I'm improving. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> Yesterday, I felt lousy. But today, I had a good day. Mm-hmm. I just feel kind of rotten. <laughs> what's the matter, Miss Ryan? Well, I haven't been able to sleep for the last three nights. It's so cold here in California in the evening. But I thought you bought an electric blanket. Yes, but those things are kind of tricky. When I first got it, I turned the heat up too high, and all night long I kept dreaming I was a Friday. <laughs> well, didn't you roll over? Why didn't you roll over? Oh, I couldn't. I always sleep sunny side up. <laughs> I'm cheerful. When I get up in the morning, I smile through my agony and I say, I just hope I live through this day. And do you? You know, uh... You know, Doris was telling me... Sometimes I wonder whatever happened to my vitality. Oh, it must be crawling around someplace. (laughs) Doris was saying... Oh, I'm serious, really. I used to be a real live wire... Well, those fuses don't last forever, you know. Miss Ann, I was telling Bob how much you enjoyed your tour through Paramount. Oh, yes, Mr. Hope. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but I sort of fell in love with one of those young, good-looking leading men over there. Ray Milan? No. Barry Fitzgerald. (laughs) He's got such pretty blue eyes. Every time he looked at me, I could feel the corners curl on my mustard plaster. Well, did you get acquainted with Barry Fitzgerald? Well, I tried to. I wanted him to know that I'd seen him in pictures. So I walked up and said, going my way? And he said, yes, eventually, but I have to take two more harp lessons. Well, the next time I see Barry, I'll put in a good word for you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Hope. But, say, do you think that he'd like me any better if I dressed real girlish? You know, with a peasant blouse or a sweater? Miss Ryan, aren't you trying to flag down the super chief with a burnt match? Association is putting on a radio quiz program. I want to be there because they're giving away a free autopsy. <laughs> Goodbye. Yes, sir. There she goes. She'll probably spend Halloween bobbing for aspirin. <laughs> By the way, Doris, what are you doing Halloween? Well, I have a date with High Everbank. 
Hey, look, here he comes now, and he's wearing a yachting cap. Ahoy there, you landlubbers. Lower your gang plank. I'm coming alongside. Well, if it isn't the Moby Dick of the kitchen sink. <laughs> hey, you look like you've been out sailing high. Well, a man like me can't resist the call of the open sea. I spent the weekend at Malibu. I love those trade winds blowing through my hair and the refreshing salt spray on my face. Do you have your own yacht at Malibu? No, he's receptionist down there on a live bait barge. <laughs> He gets $12 a week and all the fish heads he can smuggle out in his pants cuffs. Oh, gee, hi. It must take a lot of courage to go out in the ocean. Well, you see, Dora, sailing is in my blood. My great-grandfather was a sea dog. My grandfather was a sea dog. My father was an old sea dog. And then came me. Well, the luck couldn't hold out forever. <laughs> a water spaniel had to get in there someplace. Don't pay any attention to him, hi. Hey, tell me about some of your seagoing ancestors. Well, Doris, my great-great-grandfather was a famous old pirate. Honestly? Yes, old cutthroat Averback. Why, they still talk about the time Captain Kidd and his bloodthirsty crew attacked my great-great-grandfather and boarded his ship. Well, box my compass. <laughs> there was Captain Kidd and my great-great-grandfather. <laughs> Yes, sir. There they were, Doris. It was there, and I delivered it. (laughs) Okay, take it, Captain. Like I've been saying, Captain Kidd and my great-great-grandfather were there in a hand-to-hand saber duel. Finally, finally, Captain Aberback dropped his weapon, and he was at Captain Kidd's mercy. He had to show him where the treasure chest was. The pirates opened it. They threw the diamonds and rubies into the sea. Uh And then at the bottom of the chest, they found what they were looking for. What? What? A cake of swan soap. He had to go around Cape Horn to get it, but there it is. Yes, Swan is that new, better floating soap. Made by a modern, patented process no other soap can use. It's better for dishes because Swan gives faster, harder-working suds. Suds that rinse away so completely, dishes don't need wiping. And as Captain Aberback was struggling there in the water, whipping up those rich, creamy suds, suddenly, from out of the mist, there appeared a life raft with two men on it. What were the Lever brothers doing out there? Captain Aberback's rescuers reached out and pulled him onto the raft by his soft white hand. Soft because he used swan. Naturally, swan is better for hands. Mild as the finest castiles, with richer suds that protect your hands. Yes, swan's exclusive process makes it better for dishes and hands. For baby, for bath, for you. So break swan. See how you get two smooth cakes that are never rough or crumbly. It's another way to prove Swan is a better white floating soap. Well, shiver my soap dish, I Swan. Me too. Yes, sir. That's right. Bye, Cracky. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight our guest stars are those sensational young comics, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. But there's a story connected with how they got on our show. The other night I went over to Slapsy Maxie to see Martin and Lewis about coming on the show. And as I walked into the club, they were in the middle of the rack. Dean Martin was singing. Everybody loves somebody sometimes. Everybody falls in love somehow. Something in your kiss just told me my sometimes is now. Everybody finds 
somebody someplace There's no telling where love may appear Something in my heart keeps saying My someplace is here If I had it in my power I'd arrange for every girl to have your child gentlemen. Well, that about winds up our show, and uh, I'm pretty sure my partner, Darius Lewis, would like to say a few things. Thanks very much. I'm, I'm, I'm awfully glad you called on me, and because you let me be out here with you like this, I appreciate it. You what? I said by you calling me like this, I appreciate it. Why do you keep the words up in the air? Let it come down. There's a period there. You, you would say, I'm going to the corner, not, I'm going to the corner. Oh, you talk your way. I talk that way because, listen. I'll stop being forced and say goodnight to the people. In a nice way, huh? Yes. You folks have been very nice to us, and I would like to say that we appreciate the way you received our work, and I'd like to say, as far as an audience is concerned, you folks have really been without a doubt. Boy, it's really a relief to be back in the dressing room. Yeah, I'm beat. We really worked hard tonight, didn't we, Jerry? With that audience, we had to. What was it with those people? We're doing our act and they're reading. They just sit there reading and eating and eating. You know, Dean, it made me stop and think. What about? I'm hungry. Uh, listen, Jerry, did you see that guy sitting in the front row with that big funny nose? That's a no. That was his nose. <laughs> I thought it was his date. No wonder she had two holes in her head. Yeah, that nose was a real brute. Did you see the waiter come over and ask the nose if it was ready to order dinner? <laughs> I wonder who this schmo is. Did he get a load of that, that funny outfit he was wearing? Top hat, white tie, and bare feet? Yeah, and he really was tipping. He was throwing bars of soap around like a drunken laundryman. You know something, Jerry? There was something familiar about that guy. I've seen him before. You have? Yeah, wait a minute. His name is uh, Bob... Uh, Bob, Bob... Uh... Bob Montgomery? No. Bob Taylor? No, but you're getting warm. Bob Ristanwick? No. 
Babalu? Jerry. Babalu, I like Babalu, I like Babalu, Jerry Lewis. That's who it is, Jerry Lewis. No. How could it be me? How could I be on a stage and in the audience at the same time? Oh, Jerry, please. I remember now. It was a hot summer day in New York. I had just come out of the doctor's office. The doctor had just told me the news. I had only 70 years to live. <laughs> I had to cram a whole lifetime. It's only 70 years. I thought of all the wonderful things I wanted to do. Paris, Rome, London. Get a haircut. Easy. <laughs> Your head's coming loose again. Chair, <laughs> I just remembered who that guy in the front is. There's somebody knocking on the door. Oh, there's a clever deduction. <laughs> will you please go to the door, Jerry? Okay, I will. Promise to write me while I'm gone? Yes, every day. Well, that'll be sterling. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Who's there, boy or girl? Bob Hope. Answer the question. <laughs> Well? <laughs> Hi, I'm Bob Hope, and I, uh... Beat it, kid. No autographs. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Jerry. Uh, come right in, Bob. Uh, I'm Dean Martin. This is my partner, Jerry Lewis. Jerry, Bob Hope. Bob Hope? Big deal. <laughs> you can't just barge in here, bud. We're not bums, you know. Didn't you see the sign on our dressing room door? Sure, it's that gentleman. <laughs> We insisted on that. We like a lot of horse bacon. <laughs> well, you... <laughs> you know, I just caught your act, fellas, and I thought you were great. Say, Dean, you know when you sing, you sound just like Crosby? Well, I've been sick. <laughs> hey, you think Dean can sing, huh? I can sing better than that with both that noise time behind my back. Please, boy, who'd you ever sing with? Who'd I ever sing with? Are you for real? <laughs> He's asking me. <laughs> Go ahead, quick frozen read. Go ahead. <laughs> Tell me, who'd you ever sing with? Well, Kate Smith, just to name a few. <laughs> Just get a load of some of this thing, will you, hey? Sounds like this kid was frightened by the Andrews sisters. One at a time. Hey, what kind of crack is that to make? What are you, a wise guy or something? I'd punch you right in the nose if I wasn't afraid your nose would punch me back. Look, don't take it out on me, pumpkin head, just because your hair got singed when they put the candle in. As I was saying, I thought your act was really fine. I was wondering if you'd like to do a guest appearance on my show. What do we need with radio? We have everything two good-looking young American boys could ask for. Lights, music, caviar, champagne, sensen. I love life and I want to live. Hey, Dean, light me another cigarette. I swallowed the last one. <laughs> you know, Jerry's got a point there, Bob. We're doing pretty well in nightclubs, and besides, we're a little bit afraid of radio. Oh, there's no reason to be afraid of radio. Look at Al Jolson. He'd never have his own radio program today. He'd still be working in a nightclub if he hadn't taken the advices of his friend Abe. <laughs> 
Abe Lassvogel? No, Abe Lincoln. Fellas, I tell you... <laughs> I tell you, you can't miss on the air. Well, I'm sold, Bob. How about you, Jerry? No, I will not go on the air. And if you try to force me, I'll throw myself down on the ground and kick. And if you want to go on the radio, you can go on by yourself, Dean Martin. All right for you, so there, too. <laughs> Oh, what's the matter with you, Jerry? Everything I say to you goes in one hole in your head and out the other. <laughs> Look, Jerry, why don't you forget about being a comedian? Get married and have a few kids. Don't wait until it's too late like your father did. <laughs> Say, Dean, why don't we go off by ourselves where we can T-A-L-K without the K-I-D? Well, he's pretty hard to L-O-S-E, but we can T-R-Y. Hey, you guys, cut that out. I know what you're doing. What? You're spelling. <laughs> what you say. I'm not going on a radio. I hate the radio, and if you make me go on a radio, I'll swallow my skate sheet. Well, we pay our guest stars $5,000 for a guest shot, and if you guys work out, you can come back for five more shots. And I want mine with soda. <laughs> <laughs> I put one over on him, didn't I? Wasn't that a fu- Ain't I the shifty one? All right, so it's all said, Jerry. We'll do the Hope Show. Yeah, we'll do the Hope Show. Oh, swell. Well, I'll see you Tuesday, then. Sure, why not? We'll send you the ticket. <laughs> Don't mind him, Bob. When uh, we were kids, we were playing jacks one day, and the car fell down on his head. <laughs> have, you, have you guys got any material you can do on the radio? Well, we've got a song that we sang once before with a girl, but you could take her part. Oh, fine. Is it a good part? Is it a good part? Here's the music. Just come in every place that says Hildegard. <laughs> I'm looking over a four-leaf clover that I overlooked before... One leaf is sunshine, the second is rain Third is the roses that grow in the lane No need explaining, the one remaining is somebody I adore I said I adore, I mean adore really means <laughs> This kid sounds like you're Napa Donald with a half Nelson on Eddie's <laughs> Did you hear what he said, Dean? Hold me back. Hold me back. Why should I hold you back? It itches. <laughs> I'm looking over a four-leaf clover that I overlooked before. There goes our hooper that I overlooked before. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, the Screen Guild Theater presents the classic Philadelphia Story, followed by Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Special thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support and Moses Neimer, executive producer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.